I remember when I was teaching at the University in California, that a very well-known professor was giving a lecture to some of the grad students and then undergrad and then spoke at a faculty lunch. And I'll never forget, you know, there was time where he could give a lesson and a, a little talk to the faculty and there could be questions. And he shared a story of what he recently had gone through with his mom. He said that he, he was in his late 60s, really actually around 70, I think, at this time. So it, 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 would, it was just a, a year or so earlier that his mom, who was in her early 90s, was having some severe health problems. Dad was already gone. And so mom was living with her seven children about a month or two at a time. And he talked about the privilege he had for his two months to care for his mom. And she was so weak that they actually had a bed for her in their living room so she could be part of everything in the family. So he, he uh, was there with his mom and they watched the news and he tucked her into bed. He thought that was kind of ironic, thinking of how many times she had actually done that for him. And she was good, and he ran upstairs and then remembered he'd forgotten to turn something off back in the kitchen. And so he ran downstairs, and he realized that she didn't even know he was there. And as he was turning up to go back up the stairs, he heard her begin to pray. And he got near the top of the stairs as she started going, and he just kind of sat there and listened, and he listened to his mom pray. And he said he felt this huge emotion as he thought, man, how many years has this woman prayed? And how many times just silently in her own heart or, or, or in ways when, when I was a little boy, he thought, did, he pray, did she pray over me and my brothers and sisters tucking us into bed or before dinner or sending us off to school or to college or to whatever? And he sat there and listened, and she prayed one by one, from oldest to youngest, for each of her kids, and for each of her grandkids, and for each of her great-grandkids. And she prayed for missionaries and people in the church. And he said he just, he just sat there, half smiling, half crying, as he listened to his mom's prayer. And here is this veteran theologian published numerous books. You don't have to type his last name into Amazon and they'd all pop up. And he realized how much he'd learned over the years from listening to his mom pray. And of all the things God can talk about in his word, it's interesting that he gives us 10 verses of a sweet woman praying. It's almost as many words as you get about the origin of the universe. Think about that for a second. And there's a whole lot of debates and a whole lot of questions about exactly how God made the world, and God gives us some thoughts on that. And then in the beginning of 1 Samuel, he wants you to listen to a woman pray. And so man, we would be foolish just to blow past this, just like that professor who for that full 15 minutes until his mom got too tired, sat at the top of the stairs to listen to her pray. So we're going to listen to a woman pray. And it's in those moments where you not just get a glimpse of 
what she believes and what she trusts in. When God wants us to listen to a prayer, he wants us to see something about himself. So I don't know where you're at today or where you're coming from, or even as you sit in here today after a horrific week in national news, when you think about the brokenness in this world, brokenness. I mean, I, I, I can't remember how, how many times I, could, I had to turn away from the news this week to think about a military-grade weapon being fired in a school classroom. That's just heart-wrenching. And so as we want to know, God, who are you and where are you? Help us to know how to trust in you. We get to hear a sweet sister in Christ named Hannah. And in God's providence, we get to listen to her prayer. Let's pray ourselves, ask the Lord to open our eyes to his word. Father, thank you for the message of Christianity, for the gospel. Thank you that even for this professor's mom who now is with you in your presence, that you had her disciple him and her other six children to know and serve the Lord. And even in your beautiful providence that you allowed this son to listen to his mom pray for one of the last times. Thank you for Hannah, our sister in the Lord, though separated by millennia. And that you allow us to listen to her prayer, which not only describes her rejoicing, but also depicts her God. Father, you are the same God to whom we pray right now. So help us, like her, to see you for who you are and to trust in you just as she did and to worship you just as she was in this prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you look at these 11 verses, I think there's several things that they teach us about the Lord. Here's the first. And verses 1 and 2 say this so clearly, there is no one like the Lord. And in one sense, that seems obvious, right? We're, 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 we're rehearsing things that if you've been part of the church of our Lord for a long time, you've heard this over and over again, but I don't think you can ever get past that as if you get past needing water or oxygen. There is no one like the Lord, and we will constantly be tempted to trust in or to be devoted to other things. And at times we just need to hear, there is none like the Lord. In verse 1, Hannah prays, and man, what was her tone like? How worshipful was her tone we just have words on a, on a page. I would love to have heard what her voice was like. How many times did she pause to say, my heart exalts in the Lord? And then she couldn't even say the next line because she was feeling that reality. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. God gives us in those verses depictions of what he does. He, God gives us inner joy, outer strength, and ultimate victory. That's what verse 1 is saying. Notice all the first persons. My heart, my horn, my mouth. 
That is someone who has tasted the goodness of God. That word horn is a strange one. We don't use that very often to speak. That's an ancient metaphor. Using horns or antlers or even tusks of animals to describe strength or power. The Lord is the one who gives inner inner joy, outer strength, and ultimate victory. That's exactly where she starts. Verse 1 summarizes that. And then in verse 2, it's because God is alone in His worth. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Again, the threefold negative. None, none, no. Nobody. God is holy, set apart. He's our rock. Again, that's a metaphor that describes stability, security, and safety. So, So hear this from Hannah's prayer today. Who is more able to save you than our Lord? Who is more capable of helping you than our Lord? Who is more worthy to serve Look at verses 3 to 5. Here Hannah gives what what we could just describe is a description of the Lord as the great reverser. He reverses the fortunes and the conditions of the world. The Bible loves to show that God works not by the strength and powers of this world, but in a way that declares Him as glorious. We're going to see this throughout this chapter. Israel will be looking for a king with all the normal ways you and I think of power in politics, and God will say, nope, I'm going to choose my own king. You're going to see a massive giant face a young boy. And you're like, the giant would win, right? Like, there's no way this young little boy is going to win. God is going to reverse fortunes. The end of the biblical story, it's a lamb on a throne, God loves to be the great reverser, to show that we put our trust implicitly in the things of this world, and God will show that he is greater without those. He alone is holy. Here, Hannah's prayer serves as a testimony of her experience. Basically, she's asking the question, who can boast before our God? Think of the greatest athletes. They're nothing without the Creator. The greatest minds, they can't even figure out even some of the most simple things that God knows. The greatest nations come and go as they have before. Listen to Hannah's words. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. He is the plumb line. He is the level. He is the ruler. He is the scale. The bows of the mighty are broken, verse 4, but the feeble bind on strength. God takes the strong and breaks them and pours on strength to the weak. Notice the great reversal. Verse 5, those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Notice the great reversal. 
and verse, the end of verse 5, look at this. Does this sound familiar to chapter 1? The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Boasting becomes humorous when God reveals his strength through what was weak in the world. Weak defeat the strong, the hungry are well fed, and a barren woman has a little boy. God reverses the strengths of this world. And even if we looked at this text, you could see in verses 3 through 5, power, plenty, and even shame. I think that's what that infertility point is. It's not just wanting to have a child, but literally the shame that Hannah felt. The humiliation in light of the other wife and the culture at large. God reverses that. He is powerful beyond the things that we would think. He gives us plenty by his own power, and he reverses our shame. Again, notice how this gives us a lens to see the ministry of Christ. Nobody would have thought he was powerful. Nobody. Even Peter is a couple times rebuking him for not thinking military enough. Nobody would have thought he was, had plenty. He didn't have much at all. And nobody would have thought he had honor. He was shamed in a climactic way at the end of his life. Stripped, beaten, crucified with criminals. And yet it was in that that the Gospels describe that as the exaltation of the king. That is a reversal. Do you see how the Bible teaches us to think about the world? To think about ourselves? To relate to God? It's teaching us to see God as the great reverser. The Christian learns to trust in God's wisdom, not human wisdom. Again, notice the end of verse 3. The Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. So how does the world define success? Be careful. God's already reversed power, plenty, and worldly honor. Now how does God, verse 3, weigh faithfulness? What's that look like, brothers and sisters? Maybe it's just a mom or a dad who's faithful every day, loving their kids. Like that professor's mom who raised seven. And even still in her 90s is praying for her daughters and sons. Her son may have a name you can find in Amazon, but that woman's name is never mentioned. There's no blog with her wise words and wisdom. But when that son is literally finishing his career, about whom does he speak? His mom's prayers. So what does faithfulness look like to the Lord? How about a faithful husband or a faithful wife? In good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, loves, commits, serves. How about somebody who day in and day out serves in their local community, as a nurse, as a teacher, in their business, with all the stress and chaos of the last two years and difficult economic times, they trust, they serve, they're honest. How about a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ here in the church? Even now, men or women holding some of your babies or grandbabies, 
serving around this building, getting ready for a Memorial Day picnic to help facilitate fellowship in the body of Christ, sitting and visiting with people in nursing homes or on hospital bedsides, mowing grass, tuning lawnmowers, helping somebody move. That's, there's no name and lights for that. But the Lord has taken the power and the plenty and the worldly honor and reversed that to say this is what faithfulness looks like. Well done, good and faithful servant. Finally, the third, the Christian prevails, verses 6 to 10 says, not by might, but by the Lord. Again, we've already seen the Lord is alone in his worth and his power, and the Lord is the great reverser. So for the Christian then, we prevail not by might, but by the Lord. Look at the language in verse 6 and following. It's, it's, it's thick. It's almost hard to read. It, it depicts God as so other and beyond, yet intimately in charge of all things, that it just seems foolish to trust in anything else. The Lord kills and brings the life. That's pretty strong language. And you might have a whole lot of questions about what that even means, but you can't miss the fact that the Lord's in full charge of all things. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. I mean, if he has the foundation, what's that say about the rest of the house? For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. That is loaded language. And I'm not even sure it's meant to just give us some kind of, well, what's that look like in practical ways. That's meant to be an Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy moment where you just kind of fall back down and you're just blown away. And you're not even feeling like you can ask the questions, hey, that kills stuff? Like, help me with that. No, no. It's not even, you're, this, is, this is the commander speaking. You just see this overwhelming power and you are just responding in worship. And the only question but you end up asking when you see God in that way is the question of how may I, how could I ever trust in anyone other than you? But these verses give both promise and warning, specifically verse 9. And it even contrasts those who trust in God as faithful. That's what they're supposed to do. Versus the wicked who think they themselves are God. Verse 9, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. That's an interesting last statement. After hearing of God's grandeur and holiness and sovereignty... This text warns you, listen, if God is that sovereign and that strong, you better watch out what you trust in. 
And those that oppose the Lord, verse 10, gives their fate. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth, meaning there's no escape. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn. Remember that what it means? The strength and the might of his anointed. Now, she didn't end with an amen, but I don't think she needed to. And she didn't quite yet know about Jesus, so she didn't say that in Jesus' name we pray. But today, I'm sure she would, because she would have known that the death of Jesus was what allowed her to have access, even then, to God the Father. So why does God let us listen to Hannah's prayer? Why does he let us? Again, I just can't stop thinking of that professor who providentially forgot to turn something off in the kitchen or laundry room, ran back downstairs, and as he's going up, overhears his mom start to pray. She died, by the way, two weeks after that event. And the very next day, she was going to his sister's after having been with him for a couple months. So he was so thankful that he sat at the top of those stairs and got to listen to his mom pray. So why does the king of the universe want us just to listen to a few verses of our sister Hannah and her prayer? I think Hannah's prayer shepherds us to trust in the Lord in all situations. And here's a few reflections on why. This prayer anticipates what the Lord will do in the rest of Samuel. I mean, it's not like this is some kind of a tangent that disconnected from the story. In fact, when you look at the end of verse 10, you're actually seeing the trajectory of where the book is going to go. He will give strength to his king. There it is. That's the theme of this book, God's king. And even in her prayer, she knows in light of the context of the biblical story that ultimately it will not just be about her son, but about God's son. And even if she doesn't have that full image in view, that's exactly what we see. God will give strength to his king. And the whole time you're wondering, well, what's this king going to be like? And who will he be? Will he be big and tall? Will he be super smart? Will he be able to negotiate well with all the foreign powers? Will he develop the military of God's people to protect them from the Philistines? Will he be handsome and winsome? You can only imagine that those questions, if they're not including the Lord who is the great reverser, are going to be misguided and get ready for God's people, just like we can be tempted to misunderstand that too. The rest of this book will show the Lord to be the great reverser who counters worldly wisdom. And the strength he will give to his king will not look or align with the worldly way of thinking. And we'll see this in the very next passage when God calls out his wicked priests in the temple. But here's another reason why I think God let us listen to Hannah's prayer. It gives us confidence to go to the Lord in prayer. It gives us confidence to go to the Lord in prayer. Because sometimes praying is hard. And I worry that in even our tradition, and maybe even our church, prayer is minimized. 
or it's completely utilitarian. It's, it's only when we feel a need. And I'm just thankful that we got a little bit of a prayer before it was fulfilled, but now we get a longer prayer when it's finished. If we are going to be faithful disciples of Jesus, we have to be people of prayer. And I think we need to talk more about that. This text gives us confidence that the same God who heard our sister Hannah pray millennia ago is the same God who heard this professor's mom two weeks before she went to the Lord is the same God who hears us when we pray today. A third reason is that it teaches us to pray not only when we are empty, but also when we are full. Man, we cannot make prayer simply some kind of app to access things that we need. It must be part of our worship. It must be part of our discipleship. There's no glory in that. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees who only did such things when there was an audience. Maybe this text exhorts you to trust in your Lord enough to weekly, maybe even daily, pause, reflect, and pray. Not just when you have need, but even when you are full. Because there's so much gravitational force to pray when you are hurting or aching or needing, but do you feel the need to pray when you are full? Or are you actually, once your belly is full and your finances are okay and your health is secure, you kind of forget about the Lord? Man, may we never be a people that forgets about the Lord. May we be a people that knows from, from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. A fourth reason we can suggest that God lets us listen to Hannah's prayer is that it reminds us to look at every aspect of life with God-focused glasses. And man, I think we needed some of that this week. I mentioned to you that shooting in Texas that was heart-wrenching. To hear the cries of those parents. Unbearable. I literally had to mute the TV because I could not listen to those parents cry. Or to think in Buffalo, and I, I met a woman from Rockford this week who's from that exact same neighborhood where that shooting in Buffalo happened. That's the grocery store she would go to. Or you think of what's happening in Ukraine, and you almost forget about it because it's gone on for so long. And you think I, on the news recently heard about these Polish citizens who feel like they know what it's like having lived in the border of Russia. One news guy said, thinking World War II, and uh, a, a Polish man said, well, it goes back about 500 years. We've always been this small nation with these powerful ones who come and pillage and take. And so when their neighbor, Ukraine, is distraught. Literally just average citizens in minivans are driving to the border to pick people up. Now again, just picture that as Christians who just know what it means to be dependent, who know what it means to want. And even in moments of fullness, they reach out to God the Father. 
They look at the world with God-focused glasses, everything. They know that God is the great reverser. They know that he's in charge of all things. They know that everything they are and everything they've received is from God, and they live that way. This prayer helps us to see the world differently. Finally, and maybe more personally, maybe God lets us listen to Hannah's prayer because it invites us to turn and trust in the Lord ourselves. Remember where it started, especially verse 2? There is no rock like our God. So let's follow Hannah's example. And maybe your prayer today is like 1 Samuel 2, and you're full. You just feel blessing. Then you're going to pray today a prayer of praise and thanks to God that exalts him. But maybe today you're still a Hannah like 1 Samuel 1. That you come in today broken. You come in needy. There's a request that if you knew someone was praying, if you knew that professor's mom was praying every night, you would ask her to pray for you because you have such a need in your life. Maybe that's you. But either way, how can we read about a prayer and the God to whom we should pray and not do so ourselves? So take a moment, bow your head, and whether you're praying from the perspective of 1 Samuel 1 and asking God to care for his child, or whether you're praying from the perspective of 1 Samuel 2, you are full and you're acknowledging God's goodness, let us all, just for a moment, with our heads bowed, pray to the Father. And in a bit, I'll close us. Father, you heard all the prayers of your children. And even as we prayed in nations none of us have ever put our feet in, in massive cathedrals, and house churches, whispering hymns, but they're not recognized by their neighbors. In all the languages that you have created, with every skin color and every age group, the most educated, kings and queens alike, and paupers. You heard all these prayers this morning, and we come before that God in our local church in this simple town. We know that there is none like the Lord, and there is no rock like our God. So we thank you that you heard our prayers like you did our sister Hannah years ago. So you hear the sisters and brothers 
in this place, your children on this day. And we ask that you would hear those prayers and respond, yet we submit them to you. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that in our world that is broken, but even in our own lives, in this church, that you would be a king that is set apart, in whom your people trust through thick and thin, not the things of this world, but the God who set it on its foundation. So help us, empower us, we pray, by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.